baby. I gotta, let's I gotta get these babysit this evening. Let's get these titties flopping, ladies. Oh, they are flopping. <laughs> They're floppinish. Let's get. <laughs> let's all pull our boobs out. You want to see my boobs? Start sh- I mean, if you want to show them, I'm not going to tell you no. That's up to you. We're very. Just... I was like something is. We're flopping titties. Yeah, I know. I all of a sudden, it it's like, oh wait. She doesn't have her. I was like, I'm ready to go. Just kidding, right? Her cans with the cans and the floppinish tatties. <laughs> cans. You got four cans on you now. Hell yeah, I sure do. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, fuck. Welcome to Ghosts and Hoes. Ghosts and Hoes. There you go. Hoes, a paranormal podcast where we talk about all things spoopy, yeah. cryptids, yeah. motherfucking aliens, yeah. motherfucking witchcraft, yeah. weird shit, yeah. murder most. Motherfucking foul. Yeah. And every now and then, dicks. Yeah. I'm and going down that road. <laughs> you don't want to go down going, that road. <laughs> Dick road. I recently, number one, how long has it been wearing that hat? Oh, for like four days. Okay, good. Because I'm like, I'm certain I was not there the last time I was here. <laughs> the head that lives in the corner. Yeah. Hunter's, Hunter, Hunter. Hunter Donaldson's head is. Yep. Uh, in my corner, I put a I put a hat on it that I got in Scotland. Yeah, I was like, I don't remember that. Okay. Uh, and then the other day, and this is a question I would like to pose to both of you, okay. and then yes. everybody listening, you can message us or whatever your answer. Uh, but it was on Twitter. Somebody was like, "What was the scariest character from a movie or a TV show that you have ever seen?" In your life. Got, I already got it locked and loaded. Go for it. Uh, it is from the director's cut of The Exorcist. Mm. It is the first time you see Pazuzu's face. Okay. it's a good one. God, I probably would have to really think about that more. I don't know. I mean, I'm going to go with, not that it was like scary, scary, but the pivotal childhood Scary guy for me was Freddy Krueger, but I mean, it's not scary. scary. It's something that scares you to this day. I saw Freddy. I don't know. I saw Freddy as an adult, so I never had like I refused to watch Nightmare on Elm Street as a child because I knew that was going to fuck with me. Right. But as an adult, I'm like, this is just super rad eighties horror. Yeah. No, I made my aunt take me to see Nightmare on Elm Street movies in theaters as a child, so I had no fear over Freddy. I know. That said, my answer. Was Zelda from Pet Cemetery? Because okay. to this day, sometimes I like you know when you go to turn off a light, and you're like, okay, but I have to run as soon as I turn it off because something <laughs> was going to be there. Try uh-huh. and like grab my hand. Zelda is the one usually that come, or possessed Reagan from The Exorcist. Sure, sure, sure. I, one of those two, but Zelda just something about mm, Rachel. Also, Hate the it. Hate uh, it so much. The girl who turns out to be a boy at the very, very, very mm. final shot. Sleep Sleep Angela. Camp. Camp. Yeah. Spoilers. Just kidding. That because movie is as old that, as I am. That movie is it's a, a great fucking ride. Great fucking movie. But that last Flat shot. Flat as a board needs a screw. Yeah. Fucking Judy. You bitch. Dude, also eat shit and live mm-hmm. is the best. That's yeah. the best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, that final shot of her just like making that super guttural, creepy sound and her mouth is hanging open. Yeah. yeah. It's a great fucking movie. Yeah. Uh, Angela is the character's name, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Played by Felissa Rose. Yeah. Doesn't in the she first one. Us? Aren't we friends? Isn't someone friends with her? I am. You are. You mm-hmm. are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 
she is not played by Felissa Rose in the sequels, though. Uh, I've not seen any of the sequels. Oh boy, <laughs> they are they are fun. Uh-huh. Are they good? No. Is the first one good? No. It's very fun. Better than the sequels. Fair. Okay. Um, but they're st- they're all fun. Yeah. It's like an enjoyable watch. You're like right. this is so silly. Yeah. Uh, but the person that takes over the role is, I want to say Pamela. First name, last name Springsteen. Oh. Yes. Oh. That Springsteen. Okay. Uh, his sister. Okay. Yeah. She did a good job, too, though. But, yeah, it's just silly 80s What's fun. even the plot of those movies? The sequels? She just comes back and starts killing people? She, I believe, is a counselor. Oh. Yeah. She killing kids? Um, I don't think the kids. I think the other counselors. I don't really remember <laughs> because it was all so insane. So that franchise inspired Friday the 13th. And then Friday the 13th comes out, and they're like, Oh, yeah, we're going to do that now. Like, this is better. Okay. <laughs> like, That's the funny. first one, though, is just such camp. So good. But yes, I I'm love glad it. the first person who dies is a straight up pedophile. Oh, yeah. The last time I saw that was when we rented mm-hmm. that cabin we the up cabin. on Mount Hood. Yeah. Yep. Oh, fun. I was told to bring camping movies. <laughs> I was like, So, Friday the 13th. I didn't bring that one because we've all seen it 800,000 times. Okay, yeah, we, um, we had Sleepaway Camp. Sleepaway Camp. Sure. Uh, was it? Oh, Lake there Placid? was another one. No. I didn't bring a ton of movies. That is a Betty, that's Betty White in that movie. Yeah. Right? yeah. With the giant gator. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was another one. Was I'm trying to remember. I, wrong Turn? I think it was Wrong Turn. It was Wrong Turn. How is Wrong Turn? I don't remember. Okay. Yeah. Good, I think. Okay. I just like remember there's Early a, a 2000s fun. How long ago was this Is adventure? Wrong Turn the Waffles Kid? Pancakes. Pancakes. And that's cabin fever. Okay. That's what we watched then. Yes, I did bring that because we were in a cabin. <laughs> I was right. like, is that the waffles? Did you bring? Ca- <laughs> I knew what you meant. Did you bring cabin in the woods? No, actually. Great I don't, movie, I don't think I so I don't think I owned it at the time. Okay. Um that's like one of the best movies that's ever existed. Love it. It's a good one. one. So good. Yeah, but wrong turn if it's that's if any of you Eliza disagree Dushku. with me, I don't want to hear about yeah, it. Yeah, because we watched that too. Yeah. So we watched those three that I am recalling so yeah let's see because i know there are two that are like came out at the exact same time they look nearly identical but they're not the same movie last house on the left i think is the other one you might be thinking of no no it's not uh yeah okay it was wrong turn there are hill people in that movie Mm. and i was like this Mm -hmm. was a mistake (laughs) to bring it into the watch it on the the woods so do we have any backhoes? Uh, do we have? I see some. Uh, oh yeah, there's some snacks. I see something in there. there. There's snacks in yeah. there. Okay. Um, where the fuck? Oh, they are right there. <laughs> there's not many, so I was very confused as to where I put them because usually sure. I'll just type them under my sources, and uh-huh. I'm like, did I? Uh, <laughs> it's not really a backhoe. I it's just remembered. Just... I have to keep you after recording for stuff. Oh okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, sorry. It's just... That didn't need to happen on mic. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I have to find them. Here we go. So, scrolling through Twitter, as I do, yeah. somebody posted this, um, <laughs> and in the thread below, somebody posted, it's just hilarious names, and this man was the former mayor of Fort Wayne, Indiana, mm-hmm. his name, Harry Balls. That's amazing. Fantastic. B A 
ALS. Amazing. So it could be Harry Bales. <laughs> it's not. No. No? Okay. No. Could be, but I'm saying it's not. No. Uh, and not. This, this was the tweet that somebody was responding to with Mayor Harry Balls. Uh, Mayor Balls. User Backline Nurse said, mm-hmm. I recently learned that the U.S. pilot with the most downed planes during aerial combat in World War II was a guy from Wisconsin named... Dick Bong. Dick Bong. And I have not since recovered. (laughs) I actually... Richard Bong. ...sent an article about Dick Bong by Oregon Woodwitch... I laughed ...quite some time ago. It's like, hey, this could potentially be a Jang. And I went, there's so many silly names. Dick Bong. (laughs) Dick Bong bong. and Harry Balls. Dick Bong Balls. Dick Bong Balls. Good. So is that what they're? That's what. So that's what. Good. If those two got married, that yep. would be what it would be if they got their names hyphenated. Harry Dick Bong Balls. Well, Harry Harry Bong Balls <laughs> and Dick Bong Balls. Harry and Dick Bong Balls. <laughs> Harry and Dick Bong Balls. I would watch that buddy comedy. <laughs> I like the Odd Couple, but yeah, I want to see that show. That's amazing. I want to see that show. <laughs> oh my god. Let's get on it. Let's make it. Oh let's my make god. it happen. What's in the bag? What's in the bag? I got I got a couple. I got okay. a couple. Um I couldn't remember if we'd tried these ones or not, but I got them anyway. Whoa. I don't know why that sounded so loud in my earphones. Oh boy, uh, so many there's stuff and things here. Which one do you want first? Pink or yellow? Pink. Okay. Because I like pink. No, I don't know if you'll like this. Maybe. Maybe oh, do you want no. me to tell you what it is or do you nope. want to try it? Okay. No, no, never tell me. Okay. Because then I might just refuse. There. Get there we go. A little Can ASMR for everybody. Oh god. It's my popcorn farts. No, I mean it smells exactly as I expected it to, so I don't know why I'm making a face. But oh, that's a that's a Lay's chip. It is a Lay's chip. You handing it out backwards. I'm gonna take. What can I take a look? I'd like to see what it is. Yeah, I will eat it regardless. Um. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought it was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, it kind of smells like maple syrup for some reason. Oh but yeah. I, that's weird. what do you think it is? Yeah, what do you think it is? Something fishy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Something from the sea. What kind of thing from the sea? Taste it. Nope. Mm-mm. Oh. <laughs> Just swallow it. Nope. Mm-mm. No. It's not that it's bad. It's not that bad. Mm, I do not like that flavor at all. It's not great. It tastes like fish sauce. Mm-mm. It's uh, mm-hmm. spicy crayfish flavored. No, thank you. That wasn't bad. I didn't mind it. It tastes more like syrup than anything, which is very weird to me. Here, this is a little wet, but put it in here. Thank you. These are uh, the same. It's, if you see. I'm tasking you with taking these back. Oh, well. Bent Neck Lady. It's oh, another, Bent Neck Lady's back. The Bent Neck Lady chips. It's another flavor of Bent Neck Lady chips. See, I love. Oh, we don't know the flavor of those in advance. These ones? Right? No. I mean, I do. You do. I bought them, so yes. Mm. I don't do well with fake fish flavors. Mm. Like, I like fish sauce. Like, fish sauce wings. Like, actual fish sauce things. Fish sauce things. The fake flavors. Back to you. 
those wasabi uh, balls, ball nuts? Wasabi no, peas, sorry. No, they are not. We will get there, though. It looks like they are. These are smell like chips. Oh, fuck yeah. Oh, Ooh. these sound like they're going to be great. They are good. Oops. I like those. Those are good. They uh, taste barbecue peppery. They're chili and seaweed flavored. And terrasante. Yeah. These are easy. All you have to do is just grind up right. dehydrated seaweed. Yeah. Those ones. Yeah. I was at the store and they had little bags. I was like, oh, yeah. I'm going to eat the shit out of these. Do it. Because I bought two bags of the Bent Neck Lady Hot ones for myself. And this mm. is actually, my sister is obsessed with it. She's like, you have to try it. It's Mountain Dew flavored popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> And it... You look so excited. Sounds insane, but it's uh -huh. actually weirdly delicious. So good, I'm going to punch a hole in the drywall. <laughs> I know, right? It's weird how good it is. How did they carbonate popcorn? Why is it fizzing? I don't know, but it does that. I was going to warn you, but I didn't. It's good. Right? It's fizzing like Pop Rocks do. Mm -hmm. Only for a second. I thought I could hear it on the mic, but I couldn't because it goes away too fast. I'm here for it. Yeah, that's pretty good stuff. Mm -hmm. no, I'm good. I'm good. <coughs> I've yeah, got but... a whole bag of it at home. <laughs> that whole big bag. Yeah. I'm eating seaweed chips and Mountain Dew popcorn. Hell for the rest yeah. Of the show. But yeah, my sister was like, party. Um, party. You, party. Have to, you have to try it. I'm like, yeah. okay, fine. The crawfish, though, that can just. That can fuck right off. Right off. It wasn't um, that bad. I, if you can find it, yeah. I would also have like dill pickle flavored popcorn. Mm. Oh, yeah. I think that would be rad. Yeah. Anything pickle flavored, I'm way into. Hard same. I actually Good have. Lay's makes a flaming hot dill pickle chip that is wonderful. One of my friends just posted on um friend Melissa just posted mm -hmm. some she got it at Costco. It's oh, like Oh, I saw that fried, fried pickle, pickle ranch, ranch dip. dip. <laughs> yeah, and she was like, Fuck you, Costco. I saw that. I was like, mm, interesting, interesting. Interesting, right? interesting, interesting. That sounds good. Oh, uh this is just only self promotion, but uh, I'm not sure when the episode will come out, but I will be on a another podcast talking about a Christopher Pike book uh, called The Visitor. So if you are also a fan of YA horror books like I am, I will let you know as soon as I find out when that is going to come out. Fuck yeah. Yeah. I was like, I did not realize that there was a whole entire podcast dedicated to Christopher Pike's books, and I am very excited about it. He was like R.L. Stein on steroids. Mm. Now my hands stink. Get some lotion. Go wash your hands. I don't like it. It's okay. I'll live. I'll Jesus live. Christ. I'll live. Who goes first? Um, it's a good question. It's a real good question that I just I think clearly don't have the answer I to. I think I do. I think I do. Well, let me look, because I What's cannot that? remember. Yeah, my brain is too much. Too much, too much March. Yeah, I go. Too much month of March. Me. Oh, yay! Oh, yay! All right. So, 
There we go. Yeah, bent neck lady chips. Yeah, I'm almost they make some them. good These chips. Are so good. They're really good. If you ever go to your local Asian supermarket and you see a bag of chips with the bent neck lady on them, an elderly version of the bent neck lady. She's got the uh, the thing on kimono. Mm, yes, I believe. Is what and you're she's. Talking. She looks like she might be a goat. I don't know. I mean, I just she looks like she might be an animal. No, it's a lady. The nose. The half-dome nose. No, it's a lady. It's a weird mascot, but I love it. Okay. Bent Neck Lady Chips. That's their official name, because I don't really know. I, I What does it say up top? Caramucho. I don't, I don't know if that's the brand or, or not. But... Koike, koike. Wow. You I okay? have a real tough one time with this. <laughs> Koikea. Sure. K-O-I-K-E-Y-A. Yeah, they're very good, though. 10 out of Sponsor 10. Sponsor us. Do re- Ooh, that would be fun. 10 out of 10 recommend. Like, hello, Bent Neck Lady Chip Company. They're like, I'm done reading this email. <laughs> <laughs> uh, unforgivable. Any hoops. So, coming off of a few bummers, I decided that this week needed to be different. Mm. Because too many in a row is never fun for anybody no so i wasn't quite sure how i was gonna get around that because all the other stories i was looking at were gonna be bummers you like yourself a bummer i do i do too yeah but too many in a row is just no no no. i'm happy with this decision so but i was like these are all the ones that i have on my list of like pressing stories that I want to do, but I'm like, that's too much. I can't put anybody else through that right now, especially me. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I don't know what to do. And then I got a message from a friend one night, and he asked if he could FaceTime me really quick and said it was important. Don't be suspicious. Uh, Exactly. Now, if you know anything about me by now, is that number one, I absolutely loathe talking on the phone, which good thing that it's my job. Um, (laughs) But especially when I haven't had time to mentally prepare for a phone call. Um, And two, I hate it when people don't tell me why they need to call me. Because for one thing, makes my anxiety spike down straight to hell from whence it came. And I'm always going to assume it's something bad. That's just how anxiety works i'm like well this is this is gonna be bad it's a bad bad thing that's about to happen to your credit the last time i called you on the phone it was (laughs) and this is why i this is why i don't like when people call me unexpectedly or generally ever um because my brain always assumes it's something terrible and yeah like just why you never need to call me you just truly 99 percent of the time do you really need to call me? This week's story, why we don't call Z. Yes. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Don't do it. Do you, do you need to? You don't. You don't need to call me. I don't care how long the text message is. You have six pages of this, don't you? <laughs> no, it's not actually that long. Uh, like, But like, mm, send the text. Use your dictation. Please don't. Nothing, nobody, no time anybody has ever told me. But I, I have to call you. I'm like, mm, you don't. Oh, it's too long to text. It's not. It never is. Not for me. I will read it. 
I'll read the whole thing. I don't need to pick up the phone. <laughs> so yeah, don't. Please don't. End of the story, though. But anyway, since my friend knows all of this already, he assured me that it was not a bad thing, and it was a funny thing, and so I agreed to a brief call because he said it was something I needed to see with my own eyeballs. As it turns out, he and his wife had stopped for the night on their way to their new home in Las Vegas, and because they know me quite well, they showed me a pit stop that they were taking a quick stretch upon. Just get out, walk around, you know. And I'm surprised we haven't talked about this place before, but today I'm going to tell you about the world-famous Haunted Clown Motel. Yeah. Yeah. My friend and his wife were like, but you have to see where we are right now. I'm like, I don't I don't. I don't like this because I already know. I know where you're going, and I am certain I know exactly where you are at this moment. And he laughed. He's like, yep, you are correct. And he turned his phone around, and it was just like a horrifying beacon in the night. Of course he did. Yep. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. So before I get into the motel itself, let me paint you a brief historical picture of the town. Please do. So, Tonopah, Nevada is part of Nye County. Uh, it's roughly 16 square miles, and it's about 200 miles between Reno and Vegas, and currently has an alleged population of just over 2,000 people mm. as of this year. Mm. She little. She mm-hmm. teeny tiny. Uh, in 2010, it was like 2,500 and change, I believe. <laughs> so, there's that. Uh, it's also been home to the Tonopah Test Range, a nuclear testing site, since 1957. Mm-hmm. Also, fun fact, the Tonopah Test Range is known as Area 52. <laughs> oh, okay. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, pre-colonization, Tonopah and the surrounding area of Nye, Nye County belonged to the Yamba Shoshone tribe, just so you know. Uh, in 1900, rumored to have happened on my birthday, mm. um... Prospector Jim Butler was having a real rough day. Apparently, his donkey had fucked off to who knows where. Uh Uh-uh. So, old Jim decided to go looking for it. Fucked off donkeys. Fucked right off. That night, uh, he stopped to rest and took shelter near an outcropping of rocks. The next morning, he woke up, saw his wayward burrow, and grabbed a rock to huck at the animal out of frustration. Sir, we don't... Throw rocks because he might just fuck off again. Okay, and it's also you don't need to throw rocks at donkeys or any animal that is rude. It's rude. So, but before he had a chance to become an even bigger turd, Mm -hmm. uh, he noticed that his proposed throwing rock was a little heavier than he expected, and upon closer inspection, he figured out why: silver ore. So after collecting his donkey and some of the rocks, Jim went on his merry way, returning to his home in Belmont. He showed some buddies what he'd found. However, no one seemed to find it all that interesting. Uh, Maybe they thought it was fool silver. I know it's not a thing. But hey, if his mining buddies didn't think Jim had struck the big time, who knows? They're like, yeah, it's a fucking cool rock, Jim. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, okay, buddy. Alright, neat. Mm, got a pocket full of rocks, I see. Way to go, Jim. I'm gonna 
go back to looking for gold in them thar hills, my guy. Um, so Jim was like, y'all are wrong. And he took his rocks to a local attorney named, and I know I say it often, but I think this might be one of my favorite names that I have ever said, Tasker Audie. Stop it. Tasker Stop. motherfucking Audie. <laughs> It's so, 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 so good. It's like Studs Turkin. Trout shoe. Yeah. Tasker. Tasker Audie, attorney at fucking law, by the way. Tasker Audie. Tasker Audie, attorney at fucking law. I hope it's rock law, but I don't think it was. Tasker Audie. Attorney at rock law. Oh, attorney my God. at Rocklaw. Uh, that's now going on my business cards. They're like, I'm sorry, I thought your name was Nawal. It is, but not on my business cards. Uh, so, Tasker Audie. It's one of those, you just have to say the full Tasker name. Audie. Tasker Audie. Yeah. He looked at Jim's find and was like, let me send some of this off to my chemistry teacher friend for testing, just to be sure. He did. And guess what? It was silver? Jim was right. It was, in fact, silver, which was valued at over $200 a ton at the time. Oh, a ton. A ton. Tons a lot. It is a lot. Okay. Uh, Jim's wife, Belle, was like, look, you better get back to where you found that shit and stake your claim. Do it. So he did. Uh, In fact, he filed eight claims. And as it turned out, Jim had discovered Nevada's second richest silver strike in the state's history. Come on, Jim. So. Fuck your friends. Right? He's like, I, I, I told you guys. Friends suck, dude. Like, Jim and his fucking rocks, man. We just don't have the time to look at them all the time. <laughs> we just do not care, Jim. But Y'all man. Feel dumb now. Um, all told, it would produce roughly five million tons of ore. Oh. Uh, which would now be valued at over 1.2 billion dollars oh my god yeah go jim go yeah people started flocking to the area as they Uh do in that time and it became a fairly bustling little town uh with the miners came their families and of course businesses like saloons uh yeah 24 year old poker player george wingfield moved to tonopah to deal pharaoh and play cards um, after a short time, he'd made enough money to talk Jim, or I'm sorry, Jack Carey. Jim just makes sense. Jack Carey, <laughs> uh, the owner of the Tonopah Club, to make him a partner. So he was able to buy into this building. Uh, Jim and Bell Butler sold their sh- uh, shares to a financier from Philadelphia who would create the Tonopah Mining Company in July of 1901. The following year, our old friend Tasker Audie. Uh, would found the Tonopah Belmont Development Company. And in 1904, George Wingfield invested some of his winnings into the Boston Tonopah Mining Company, making his net worth $2 million. Wow. In the very early 1900s. That's a lot of money. It turned out to be even more because 19, uh, by 1906, he and his business partners, through all of their dealings, uh, were worth about $30 million. Dollars. Wow. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. And before I forget, the Northern Saloon was opened in 19, 1902 by none other than one of our shared historical boyfriends, Wyatt Earp. Wyatt Earp. Oh, bless it. Yep. 
So I don't know if that's still there. I didn't look. But as we all know, life in mining towns was a little rough at mm. the best of times. Mm -hmm. So in 1901, they built a cemetery. Between mine accidents, murders, suicides, and natural causes, necessary addition. Uh, between January and April of 1905, 56 Tonopah residents died from a mysterious plague. Uh, people came down with the ill. Uh, people that came down with the illness died mere hours after reporting chest pains most of the time. Mm -hmm. uh, during the autopsies, the victims' livers were found to be hard and black. Oh. Yeah. Eventually, they found the cause of the illness to be plain old pneumonia, okay. most likely caused by highly unsanitary conditions. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. I mean, yeah. 1905. Yeah. Mining town. Yeah, oh, yeah. Probably not going to be the cleanest. Nope. Not great. No. No. Um... In 1911, the Belmont Mine Fire took the lives of 17 men, including that of 28-year-old William Big Bill Murphy. <clears throat> Big Bill. Big Bill. Big Murphy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Big Bill had been among the volunteers who had risked their lives going down into the mine to get people out. Uh, personally, Big Bill went into the mine twice, bringing up an elevator full of men both times. Sadly, on the second trip back up... Bill was not in the elevator when it came to the surface. Mm -hmm. uh, when asked, one barely conscious miner responded that someone had fallen out of the cage on the way back up. Oh, mm. everybody was like, "Fuck, yeah, it's Big Bill, it's not great." Um, his last known words were, "Well, boys, I've made two trips, and I'm nearly all in, but I'll try again." Hmm. Yeah. Uh, he was buried in the Tonopah Cemetery in his headstone, which is still standing, by the way. Hmm. Uh, reads, died while saving others. Uh, there's a mural in town of his funeral procession, which took place during a blizzard, and a statue of him resides in front of the post office on Main Street. But Big Bill isn't the only big name resting in there. There's actually quite a few notable people buried in the Tonopah Cemetery, so let's talk about a few of them. Um, and by notable, I mean notable to the area. Okay. Because... We're probably not going to know any of these names. Got it. Um, in April of 1906, Sheriff Thomas Logan, credited by locals for making early Tonopah, quote unquote, the most peaceable mining camp in the world, was shot and killed in the Manhattan Red Light District. Uh, according to his great granddaughter, author Jackie Boer, Thomas had been unarmed and wearing only a nightshirt when he arrived on the scene. The matron of the saloon was being harassed by a drunken, unruly patron. So the sheriff stepped in and tried to get the man to leave. Unfortunately, the man pulled out a gun and shot the officer five times. Oh. Five times. Five. That was, there is no accident One hand's there. worth. Yeah, there's, there's no accident. Nary an accident. Uh, despite being mortally wounded, Sheriff Logan managed to subdue the man until another deputy arrived on scene. Badass. Very. Uh, allegedly, the last thing that the sheriff did before he died was to stop the piano player from shooting the man that had just unloaded five bullets into him. Oh. A true fucking legend. He's like, nah, nah, not worth it. That man that shot him did go to trial, but he was, for some reason, acquitted. Oh. Yes. Huh. Um, on Halloween of 1907... Uh, Mrs. Bina Verote died. 
known to Tonopah residents as Mrs. Hamilton, Bina had lived quite the life before her arrival out west. You see, she had previously lived in New York City and had been quite wealthy. She and her friend Isella Brown had run a little grift known as a love syndicate. They would claim to be wealthy widowers and con rich men into buying them lavish gifts and giving them money. Mm. Which would explain all of the overly fancy dresses she brought with her to Tonopah, since they certainly weren't suited for a prospector, which she became when she moved there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one of Bina's suitors was head over heels for her, but she rejected his affections, and he went to the police on the suspicion of getting scrumped, which is the past tense of scammed. Thank you, Tracy Jordan and 30 Rock. Scrumped. Liz Lemon, you got scrumped. Uh, so th- there, he was like, this bitch won't marry me, and I feel like there is something weird about this. Suspect and as highly hell. questionable. And the police were like, you know what, sir? That is weird. Women shouldn't have their own money. Insanity. Right. Straight to jail. And they arrested both women. Okay. Uh, they lived in an apartment together. And mm-hmm. like children. I don't know which one had children, but there was like a daughter there, all kinds of stuff. And it was all funded by the men they stole money from, which, yeah, I say great job, ladies. Um, so anyway, they both got arrested. During the trial, the worth of Bina and Izella's ill-gotten gains was estimated to be around $100,000, which is $2.5 million today. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So while the trial was still going on, Bina hawked some of her jewelry, her diamonds, and bounced, and eventually landed in Tonopah. Uh, She tried to work her magic again, and she did take a few men for some cash, but eventually it all stopped, and no one wanted her anymore. According to an article in the Greensboro Daily News from May of 1908, the woman began to frequent restaurants and concert halls. She seemed to find her only solace in strong drink, and it was not long before its effect was noticeable. She was no longer the woman whose fine appearance had dazzled the camp. She was simply a familiar figure, and not a very attractive one. Oh, jeez. Hateful. Then she fell ill. A doctor was called and gave her every attention, but the call had been too long delayed. The woman died in delirium. Her death was so sudden that it was deemed a coroner's care and a jury was impaneled. The verdict was that the woman had come to her death from acute alcoholism. Yeesh. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Bynavarot reportedly haunts the visitor center of the Tonopah Historic Mining Center, so keep your peepers peeled if you're there. Mm. Yeah. Uh, on June 20th, 1907, the Merovich brothers met a grisly fate. 22-year-old George had gone to visit his 28-year-old brother Frank at the mines that day. While they were talking, Frank noticed a fully loaded runaway ore cart coming down the hill straight for them. Oh. Yeah. He jumped onto the cart and attempted to pull the brake. Unfortunately, it had recently been broken and a shovel handle had been temporarily jammed in its place. So it didn't really have a functioning brake system. Uh, Frank fell under the cart, which ran over and killed him. George tried to save his brother, but the cart ran over both of his ankles. Ouch. Uh, He was taken to the hospital where both of his legs were amputated. Sadly, he succumbed to his injuries later that day. Yeesh. Yeah. Yeah. Just two days later, Tonopah's first black resident, George Devil Davis, was murdered. 
Uh, he was known to be a bit of a prankster, but was actually a very well-liked politician in the area at the time, and would also go on to own the Eureka Saloon, which is a pretty big deal for 1907, because, you know, mm-hmm. racism. Um, anyway, the nickname Devil Davis wasn't just a funny nod to his prankster persona, because as it turns out, he had a real mean streak, and right, was right. pretty abusive to his wife, Ruth. She'd had enough... And on June 22nd, 1907, she walked into the saloon and shot her husband in the back and didn't stop until he was dead. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. Ruth was done. She was beyond done. Um, She served one year in jail. Mm, Go, Ruth. Just one. Mm. Uh, Old Devil Davis has allegedly been seen at the Tonopah Liquor Company and is said to still play pranks on employees and customers alike. Uh... Between September 1908 and July 1910, all three of the Merton brothers died. Albert died of typhoid fever, Sam was killed in one of the mines, and William died of heart failure at 17. Uh, The town rallied together each time, raising money for Mrs. Merton, and when Albert died, for his widow. Mm -hmm. Uh, The cemetery shut down in 1911 after only operating for 10 years. There were rumors that it was closed due to overcrowding, but that's not the case. Uh, it closed because the tailings, which are a mining byproduct and a stream of waste from the nearby Tonopah Extension Mine, kept destroying the headstones and washing over the graves, oh. which is not good. No. Um, the mine wanted to expand, so they purchased some land, donated the, donated the property, uh, which was then designated as the site of the new cemetery, which is still in operation to this day. Uh, but there's one more resident in the old cemetery I haven't mentioned yet, Clarence H. David. He died in the Belmont Mine Fire of 1911, along with Big Bill, uh, when he was 40 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, Clarence allegedly collected clowns. Oh. And 74, is after, 74 years after his death, two of his children, Leroy and Leona, I believe they were twins, uh, moved to Tonopah to be near where their father was buried. They also decided to build a motel right next door and could think of no better way to honor their father than to, to display his beloved collection of 150 clowns. <sighs> there is some debate over whether Clarence died in the mine fire of 1911 or the mine fire of 1942. But according to old newspaper clippings I found, it was 1911. So if anybody tries to say anything... I found newspapers, so calm down. Newspapers! Newspapers! Uh, Some people also said that Leroy and Leona bought the clown collection themselves in Las Vegas, and that it didn't belong to their father. Right. But that one I couldn't find any confirmation for either way. I personally choose to believe they belong to Clarence, because for some reason, the thought of a burly prospector delicately cradling a little baby clown doll is absolutely precious, and it tickles me. <laughs> Does it for you? So there. I just think it's adorable. Uh, and mildly terrifying. But yes. generally cute. Um, so, Leroy and Leona opened the 31-room motel sometime in 1985. I couldn't find the exact date, but I swear to God, if it was in May, I will freak out. <laughs> Again, my birthday is in May, and I am terrified of clowns, so how fucking weird would that be? They're like, yes, we opened this terrifying motel on May 19th, 1985. I'm like, nope, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like it at all. I don't like it, so no thank no. you. Uh, Ten years later, the motel was sold to clown lover and state tourism official Bob Perchetti. 
Uh, he and his family ran the motel for 22 years. During that time, the motel caught the attention of fellow cholerophobe Zach Bagans. And in 2015, the Ghost Adventures crew went in to investigate the claims that the building was haunted. Uh, if you've watched the episode, you know how especially creepy it was. But if you haven't, a brief rundown. Uh, during their investigation, the guys captured an EVP of a disembodied voice saying, Yeah, uh, the spirit box voices came through and said, Hello, it turned on. Uh, and everyone had a constant weird feeling, which if you know, you know. Like, if you've ever investigated and you're just like... Yeah. Like, you're just like, oh, no, something is wrong. Something feels real off. Uh, but that wasn't all. The door in the lobby opened on its own. Zach saw a dark figure. And most famously, they captured a life-sized clown doll move its hand off of its leg. I don't like that. I don't like it either. Because they're not the only ones who've captured that on film. I hate that mm -hmm. a Oh, lot. yeah. It's gross. It's the grossest, creepiest, life-sized clown. Why? I, I looked it up. I also looked up. Uh, oh, yeah. I saw you looking at rooms. Uh -huh. Don't worry. I'll get there. Oh, no. I looked up what it would be to fly to Vegas, rent a car, oh, yeah, get rooms. Same. I already I did it. I the whole thing. Oh, I did the math. <laughs> I did for it. For the three of us, less than 500 each. Yeah. I love that for us. Mm-hmm. I, yes. I, I love that for us. Uh -huh. I, lo I yes. love that. I, lo I love that. It'd be on spirit, but. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Or Frontier. Okay, okay. They're the same thing. They're basically the same thing. Um, so, clown. Clown. Giant clown. Moved, mm -hmm. his, moved its hand off of its leg, which. No thanks. No Hard. Thanks. Hard pass. pass. Hard. Naturally, Hard after pass. the episode aired, business picked up big time. According to Bob Perchetti, it's like any other motel, except for the fact that it has been called the most scariest motel in the United States. They're just nice rooms with two queen beds. We have clown pictures on the walls. We have wireless internet. We have dish TV. We have coffee in the morning, and we have happy clowns. Yeah. <laughs> In 2017, Bob and his wife decided to retire and sell the motel and listed the property at $900,000 and stipulated that whoever purchased the property had to keep the clown theme. Enter marketing expert and circus-slash-clown enthusiast Haim Anand. He moved to Vegas in 2017 with 200 of his own clowns, by the way. Uh, where he worked at Amazon and helped his family advertise their two hotels in Vegas. Uh, the hotel biz seemed to come naturally to Haim, and his brother offered to buy him his own hotel under one condition. It had to be under a million dollars. So when Haim found out about the clown motel being listed, he immediately told his brother about it. He was like, bet. He was like, this is it. Guys. Uh, so according to Haim, when I was 14, I went to the circus for the first time and I really loved the clowns. Since then, I've been fascinated with or I've been fascinated by them. When I saw the clown motel for sale, I thought, my God, it's got to be mine. His brother, meanwhile, <laughs> was skeptical. Oh, yes, it will be. Mine. I, I unfortunately, I think he was probably like the only one. <laughs> They're like, here you go, buddy. Here you go. Hmm. Um. So, yeah, his brother's like, mm, this, no, especially because the cemetery was right next door. Right. Haim explained to his brother that all my life I worked in advertising. So I know that even if you had $10 million, you're not going to get 
this kind of publicity. I told my brother, see, this motel is very popular in the graveyard. That's the catch. I told him, most businesses struggle because people don't know about it. This motel, people know. All we have to do is polish it, showcase it to the world. Not wrong. Uh, Haim, who said in an interview with Thrillist that, my soul lives here. It's like this motel wanted me. Okay. 100% this was meant to be. Uh, he lives on site and is no stranger to the strange activity that goes on in the motel. He shared, the first night I stayed there, I admit I was totally scared. I thought something was going to happen, but nothing did. The clowns want me here. They're not going to hurt me. Buddy. <laughs> oh, bad. People have had different strange experiences at the motel, but nobody has been hurt so far. Buddy. Uh, in another interview, he said, I was a little scared. Or I was scared a little bit. I couldn't sleep in my room. But one day I thought, why did I come here? There must be some divine power. They want me here to run this motel. So probably they're not going to mess with me. Okie dokie. Uh, sure. According to their website, there are a number of alleged hauntings, which I will read from the site now. Okay. These, I cannot confirm nor deny whether they are fictional or if they are actual accounts from the hotel. But I thought I would just give you a little taste of what's on the website. Uh, so, room 108. Not so long ago, motels were the best option for the elderly and terminally ill. One such elderly man was the motel's very own front desk manager. One night, he was staying in the motel and became severely unwell. He picked up the phone to call the front desk. It rang and rang, but no response. He called his sister, who dialed 911, but it was too late. He died on his way to the hospital. When questioned, the front desk agent from the night or from that night said the phone never rang and even played back the surveillance footage, which proved that the phone never rang. It was almost as though something was trying to stop his calls for help. Mm. Room 111. Uh, room 111 was the room where a terminally ill man came to live out his final days. Like many elderly motel guests, doctors had given him a short time to live, and he did not wish to burden his family. Each night, the man went to sleep, expecting to never wake up. Again and again, he woke up to live another day until eventually, as he told the motel staff, he noticed an eerie shadow would appear in his room during the early hours of each morning. He begged the spirit to take his life, a request he was repeatedly denied. Overwhelmed with frustration, the man shot himself in the clown motel car park. Oh, okay. Yikes. Uh, room 210. Suffering from excruciating back pain while on a long-haul journey, a man from Arizona made a forced stop at the Clown Motel. It was a physical condition he'd had for many years of frustration as he failed to find any medical diagnosis. For first thing in the morning, many years when he woke up at the Clown Motel, he felt completely different. His back pain had lessened so much he could barely feel any discomfort. He was so convinced the motel spirits had cured him, he continued to live there for over six years and died in this very room where he was cured. Oh, boy. It's like a whole lock, lost island yeah. situation. He's like, I was in a wheelchair, then I came to this island, and now I'm fine. Guy's like, this motel room fixed my back situation, and I'm never leaving. And he might not have left. Terrasante. And then room 214. Howard Hughes was an eccentric 1970s Texas billionaire. I think a different Howard Hughes. Yeah. Uh, his close associate Melvin Dummer made a visit to the motel for an overnight stay and didn't leave until nearly three years later. It said that a spirit took a liking to the unsuspecting Mr. Dummer and often comes back to this room to see if he has returned. Frustrated he hasn't found his old friend, this spirit is known to taunt guests by turning lights on and off during the night, and many guests have said their personal belongings strangely become hidden or disappear altogether. Ooh. Of course, th 
these aren't the only ghostly goings-ons. Motel employees have reported seeing the outline of a body on the bed while putting fresh sheets down. Ew. Hate that. Hate that. Um, as well as the feeling of not being alone in the rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrea Selig, a housekeeper for the motel, shared on Ghost Adventures that when I come in here, I just get horrible anxiety. I literally feel like there's somebody with me in this room. Uh, multiple people, employees and guests alike, have reported several apparitions across the street in the cemetery, like being able to see them. Mm-hmm. Um, motel night clerk Marlena Dufer shared that mist may show up, an apparition may show up, I like to keep the television on at night because I hear voices, which isn't uncommon. Unaccounted for voices and laughter have been heard by multiple people in the motel. Uh, There are also reports of doors being knocked on three times, but when the guest goes to see who's there, empty halls. Ah. Uh, Haim himself has heard knocking, laughter, and talking coming from unoccupied rooms, but he doesn't seem bothered by any of it. In fact, he sees it as a reassurance, saying, That's how I knew that they were telling me, we are here, but don't worry about that. Just kind of like, hey, buddy. Just say. Just so you know. What's up? Hey, guys. Hey, buddy. Um, Which I guess is definitely one way to look at it. Right. Um... In addition to the stories on the website about some of their rooms, Haim also shared that the most active rooms seem to be 108, 109, 210, 215, and 217. Uh, Doors and cabinets constantly open and close on their own. Disembodied voices and whispers are heard. Mysterious knocks. And one group of women even reported seeing an apparition of a man in the bathroom who allegedly offered to fix the toilet for them before disappearing. Oh! Which... All right. Um. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. But did he fix the toilet? I don't know. Okay. I I think they maybe all had a toilet situation where they needed to run away immediately. Fair. Fair. <laughs> They're like fair. Fair. Uh. No, thank you, please. But perhaps my least favorite thing is the man who reportedly saw the full-bodied apparition of a clown. At the foot of his bed. No, thank you. And I don't even have issues with clowns, but that's just terrifying. Uh, Yeah. Like, if you've ever seen an apparition yourself, you know the difference between the murals painted on the walls and something else. Like, you know, you know the difference. You do. Uh, mm, Nope. Not a fan. No, I don't love that. I would... Literally Kool-Aid man myself through the nearest window you wall. Would. Just a me-shaped hole. You would slide right off the side of the bed and roll right under. I would not go under the bed for there might be something under it that <laughs> More clowns. No, nope, don't trust that. I, Whatever, I would make my own exit and I would be fair. literally miles away by the time you figured out what was going on. Be like, where's Z? No idea. She ran into the night. <laughs> she ran into the into night. Into the desert. In the which is also another thing that I hate because it's too open. Oh yeah. And full of death. Endless. It is Endless. full of death. Hate that. So yeah, it's just a solid no thanks from me. Pretty much all around. Uh the dog friendly motel is currently up and running. Starting at about $80 a night. Uh-huh. Uh, Haim plans to add 14 rooms with direct views of the cemetery in the nearish future. Uh, over the years, the collection of clowns displayed in the lobby has grown to roughly 3,000. 
That is too much clown. It's too many. Too uh, much clown. It's it's too much. Haim says that guests and fans of the motel are always welcome to donate a clown, saying, I tell people I'm a clown lover. I don't see why people say creepy. The clown is the laughing character. It makes you laugh. And if you have clowns, you can donate because it's the right place and the right home for them. No, I don't like it. Too much clown. It's too much. Uh, they really leaned into the horror theme during renovations and updates. And now four of the most haunted rooms feature full wall murals of Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, possessed and clownified Reagan, and of course, Pennywise. Uh-huh. There are, thankfully, wow. a handful of clown-free rooms. Clown-free? <laughs> and that is the story of the world-famous haunted clown motel. Sources. Hmm? Sources. Oh, yes. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Come back to me. Uh, dot org. Sminit. I like it. Sure. It was a geological website. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> I was like, I have questions about rocks. And it said, <laughs> here you go. Google brought you to me. Uh, Thrillist.com, Krista Diamond. YouTube.com, Paranormal. Paranormal Voyages, uh, Wikipedia, MyNews4.com, Ryan Kern, FindAGrave.com, Newspapers.com, ThoughtNova, Anthony Larson, uh, RouteMagazine.us, Alex Salas, TravelChannel.com, Maggie Miller, TonopahNevada.com, Roadside America, Doug Kirby, Ken Smith, Mike Wilkins. That's just all three people who run the website. Yeah. Not sure who exactly wrote that one because it did not say. Uh, the Clown Motel USA.com, Tonopalminingpark.com, WorldPopulationReview.com, and GhostAdventures.Fandom.com. Nice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nice. Like, who doesn't know that place? That place is right? just. I didn't. No? no. Mm. Oh, creepy as fuck. It's, yeah. It... You look like you got a thick one over there. She's thick. She's thick. She's thick. She's not 13 pages thick, though. Okay. Or 16, or whatever the fuck the last one was. Uh, well, I got a story, too. Excellent. I do. Um, so today, I'm going to talk about the disappearance and death of Edith Wolfskill. Mm. What a rad last name, though. Wolfskill? Wolfskill. So, like, is it that you have a skill of a wolf, or is it the kill of a wolf? Right. Which is it? Which is it? So, born in California in 1872, Edith Irene Wolfskill grew up in the lap of luxury. She was the granddaughter of pioneer Mathis Wolfskill and the daughter of agricultural magnate John Wolfskill and his wife Suzanne. John came to California in 1849 to join his father and brother where the Wolfskills hit the mother load of Mexican land grants, earning the family a vast agriculture empire. They owned 17,000 acres surrounding the Puta Creek in Yolo County. Yellow. Mm-hmm. Yellow. When John arrived, his father, Mathis, had already cleared the land for farming and for his sons to build their homes. They called their land, are you ready? I am. Rancho Rio de los Putos. Oh, my. And if you habla the Espanol, then you're laughing your ass off right now, or at least mildly chuckling. So, at first... The Wolf's Kills made their fortune in agriculture on their ranch, which eventually became the town of Winters, California. 
Then in 1874, the Wolf's Kills purchased nearly 4,000 more acres in Los Angeles, making them one of the wealthiest and most influential families in California at the time. That 4,000 acres that they purchased, they called Rancho San Jose de Buenos Aires, which would someday become the neighborhoods of Holmby Hills, Westwood, and Bel Air. So Edith was the youngest Wolf's Kill child and the only daughter, having two brothers named Nay and Matt. Little Edith enjoyed a life of privilege and luxury. Her parents dressed her in the finest clothes as the only girl, and Edith's family adored her and spoiled the absolute shit out of her. But most importantly, they wanted her to have the finest education in Europe. So off she went. Edith left school left for school a child but returned as a beautiful young lady. The Philadelphia Inquirer uh, gave this description of her. We see her as one of California's prized beauties. Her delicate pink-white skin and wide eyes, her long, rich brown hair and fascinating form make her the darling of the state's aristocracy. And everyone knew that her family was a millionaire. Or her father was a millionaire, sorry. So now it's not clear when things started to change for Edith, but when she returned home from her schooling in Europe... She came back a beautiful woman with many, many suitors, but she also seemed to have derailed a bit mentally. Uh-oh. Edith had begun to act odd. At any given moment of the day, she would become overcome with the urge to pray, and pray loudly. Family and friends tried to dismiss her behavior by just saying she was just eccentric, but her outbursts started to become more dramatic and eventually more public. Hmm. Edith would shout and pray loudly at bystanders as they side-eyed the heiress on the streets. Several times, she even knelt down to pray in the middle of a busy street. Oh, no. And through all of these episodes, she would show absolutely no awareness of her surroundings as if almost she was in a trance-like state. She was also known to blurt out other eccentric statements, such as proclaiming that she was empress of the world. Oh, my So, considering her name and reputation, her behavior was starting to draw negative attention towards her and her family, with people now starting to call her the Mad Heiress. Oh, boy. So, in August of 1903, her family, realizing that Edith was unwell, made the very painful decision to send their only daughter to San Francisco's General Hospital to be committed. The hospital, formerly the Alfred E. Clark Mansion, was recently converted to the McLean Hospital and Sanitarium, headed by Dr. Donald McLean, a practitioner of eclectic medicine, which I had to Google. (laughs) Eclectic medicine was a branch of American medicine which made use of non-invasive therapies and healing practices, which were popular in the latter half of the 19th and 20th centuries. So not long after being admitted, she would pull... Her first disappearing act. Oh, bless. On the night of August 27th, 1903, Edith vanished from her room. The nurses at the hospital were making their evening rounds. Each of the patients, including Edith, were settled into their beds to sleep. With the patients secure, the nurses took a very short break to have some dinner, and then they made their second rounds after eating, and when they checked Edith's room, they found an open window with no Edith. Uh-oh. So apparently another patient had seen Edith leave. She went out the fucking window, climbed down the fire escape, and ran down the street 
towards Mount Sutra Forest, leaving all of her money and jewelry on her bedside table, and she was wearing nothing more than a light summer nightgown. So the hospital reported Edith's escape to the local police, and not long after, the press learned of Edith's disappearance, and the paper's headline read, Demented Young Woman Escapes. And the papers also then took to calling Edith the Mad Heiress. The family was notified of Edith's disappearance, and they immediately hired a Pinkerton detective to track her down. If you don't know what that is, Google that. Um, And it didn't take long for reports of Edith's sightings to start coming in. A local dairy farmer, Mr. G. Landini, said he saw Edith the day after she went missing, sleeping on the sidewalk on 19th Street in San Francisco. Then a day later, witnesses saw a lady on Corbett Road. And in the morning, and then they saw her again in Lake Merced by noon. A young girl believed that she saw Edith in the rural town of Colma, while others said that they saw her five miles away near Muscle Rock. Detectives in Colma canvassed the area on foot, and they did find Edith at the bottom of a gorge, kneeling in prayer. And other than her nightgown being torn up and raggedy, uh, she was not hurt at all. However... She was not going to go quietly. Oh, boy. When the Pinkerton tried to lead her out of the ravine, she threw herself to the ground in protest, and she fought her absolute best fight as the man drugged the woman up the embankment. Finally, the detective had to physically put Edith inside the carriage as she kicked and screamed, but once she got inside, she knelt on the floorboard and just resumed her prayers. Yep. And off to the hospital she went. Sounds a little feral. Yeah. So when she got back, Edith's doctors questioned her about her disappearance and how she was feeling. She said she felt perfectly fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I feel fine. I feel fine. And she refused to acknowledge that she had even disappeared. She had, I'm I'm fine. So she didn't even complain about being hungry, even though the doctors were pretty sure she hadn't eaten in at least 48 hours. Edith's parents were very thankful their daughter was safe, and they decided to move her from the San Francisco hospital back down to a hospital in Los Angeles, hoping that she would be safer and happier if she were closer to her family. And she was, actually, for a long-ass time, until Edith's father passed away on December 13, 1914, with her mother following three years later on January 4, 1916. At that time, Edith's brothers, Nay and Matt, were living on their own, doing their own shit, and they really didn't much like each other. The brothers hadn't spoken in years, and neither of them had taken much interest in Edith, except, guess what? She stood to inherit as much as $800,000, which is damn near $22 million in today's money. That is a lot of monies. And um, at the time of her parents' death... And the 1920 U.S. federal census showed Edith living in South Pasadena's Bishop Sanitarium. So she had been institutionalized that whole time. So according to Suzanne Wolfskill's will, her sons needed to use a portion of her estate for Edith's care until the end of her life. Although the brothers couldn't stand the side of each other, they did what was best for their sister. So they made the decision to move her out of the sanitarium to a ranch in Suisun City in Solano County. The brothers took turns living with Edith, even though their hatred for each other was so bad that their wives had to orchestrate when their husbands would come and go so that they would never cross paths. 
and they eventually hired a nurse to help take care of Edith, as well as their cousin's wife, Mrs. Nelda Wolfskill. During her time at the ranch, Edith's bizarre behavior continued, and she would wander the wilderness, praying to the trees, and when she went into town, she would walk backwards and aggressively preach to people. Ooh, no. She tended to bring chalk with her wherever she would go, and she would write religious messages wherever she could, and just generally rant and rave nonsensical sermons at anyone within earshot. Edith would also have long conversations with her imaginary friend, and she would respond to a voice that no one else heard. Oh, good. The years went on, and she, you know, as someone that mentally ill would let herself go, she wore, you know, tattered clothing, and her once beautiful looks had faded until she had just become a wild-eyed, haggard shell of her former self. Yeah. Bless her heart. So in 1929, her mental health would deteriorate even further when her longtime nurse, Bessie Richards, with whom she had gotten very close to and was actually the closest that she had ever come to actually having a friend, was fired by her brother. When the new nurse, Mary Conklin, came to replace her on July 14, 1929, Edith wasn't having it. And within a few hours of being introduced to her new nurse, she would pull her second disappearing act. The only time Edith spoke with her new nurse, Bessie, was to tell her that she was going for a walk. At 4 p.m., Edith left for her evening stroll, wearing a striped sweater, a light jacket, and an ankle-length skirt with low-heeled shoes. Mary watched Edith walk out the door, thinking she'd be back because Edith would be way too hot in that sweater and the shoes were not comfortable enough Mm -hmm. for a long walk. Sadly, no one would see Edith Wolfskill alive again. Oh, no. Although she often went out on long walks through the hills, getting up to her her weirdness, this time she was gone way longer than usual. When evening came, there was still no sign of her. The authorities were called in. When Sheriff John B. Thornton arrived, Nay and Nelda's husband, Reed, yes, yeah, Nay and then Nelda's husband, Reed, were also at the ranch. So the family explained Edith's mental issues to Sheriff Thornton, who was already familiar with her and her Mm -hmm. downtown chalk shenanigans. Um, A search was launched, but there was no sign of Edith anywhere. No one had seen her or heard her praying, and there were no chalk notes on fence posts or sidewalks, because usually that would just be the trail to find Mm her. Considering that Edith was such a rich, high-profile woman, there were all sorts of theories that she had been kidnapped and the sheriff half expected a ransom call to come in at any minute, but that never happened. Nay sent word to his brother Matt that Edith was missing, and when Matt arrived, he and Nay fought in the sheriff's office. Rather than putting their differences aside and working together to bring Edith home, the Wolfskill brothers argued more over whatever their 20-year-old feud was. I couldn't find that, so. Mm. The brother's behavior, however, was a little suspect. Did Nay... Matt, or both, do something to Edith so they could split her portion of the inheritance. Nay gave his two cents to local journalists, saying, They seem to think we know something about sister's disappearance. That's all nonsense. She ran away because she didn't like that nurse. Okay. So the local papers reported that the brothers fought because they couldn't agree on how to spend Edith's money. Word of Nay and Matt's argument reached the bank in Los Angeles, and they froze her funds. And they hired... A.M. Harris of the Burns Detective Agency to see if either brother should even have access to her money. Hmm. The bank was like, 
Yeah, no, 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 no. We're gonna we're gonna make sure her shit is okay. Like, um, Which, gonna, fuck yeah, we're gonna need a minute. I mean, I don't know. Would a bank even do that these days? What? Just like read the paper that these guys are. She's missing, and her brothers are fighting, and just be like, you know what? That suspect. We're gonna freeze her account, so you guys can't touch it. No, yeah, no, I think they still do that. Would they do that? Yeah, yeah. They do it when we go out of town. No, touche. Freeze our... I'm like, that was me spending my own money. <laughs> touche. So Edith was such a high-profile figure that The Vanishing was now all over the news and a huge reward was being offered for her return. The gossip started, of course, running rampant. All sorts of reports of people saying that they had seen her came pouring in yet again, but these all led nowhere. Attention from the press created a paparazzi situation that neither Suisun City nor the Wolf's Kills were prepared to handle. Reed Wolf's Kill sat at the entrance to Edith's ranch holding a shotgun while the rest of the family stayed barricaded inside and refused to speak with anyone, especially the police. Hmm. The only unrelated person allowed to enter or exit the home was a woman from Fresno named Mrs. Comstock. Mrs. Comstock claimed that she had invented a machine that could locate missing people and accurately predict if they were alive or dead, saying all she needed was a personal belonging of the person in question and a little electricity. Hmm. Mrs. Comstock promised that if she placed the item inside the wooden box and plugged it into an outlet, Edith's location would be revealed. The authorities saw Mrs. Comstock for exactly what she was, a complete fucking charlatan, and she sadly was only one of many who tried to prey upon the Wolfskills' desperation to find their sister. The Wolfskills, on the other hand, placed tremendous faith and plenty of money in Miss Comstock's abilities, and the reward for Edith's return was $5,000, dead or alive. Fake psychics and real liars threw investigators off track with many a false lead. Others really wanted to help and became hypervigilant in their efforts to find the missing heiress. Unfortunately, none of the tips led to finding Edith. But then came a small break, or so they thought. July 20th, 1929. A woman named Olive M. Boyce contacted Sheriff Thornton, and she told him that Edith had spent the previous night in her home in Saratoga, a hundred miles south of Suisun City. Saying on July 19th, 1929, Edith, at that time, had been missing for a week. A stranger stopped at Olive's home in the early evening and had asked for lodging. The stranger said her name was Edith Kelly. She was 35 years old and on her way to Los Angeles on foot. Now, in Olive's opinion, the lady appeared to be in her 50s at least. And at the time, Edith Wolfskill would have been 55 years old. Hmm. However, this woman walked with a crutch. And Los Angeles was 400 miles away. So Olive, suspicious as hell, gave the woman shelter anyway. The woman left early the next morning, and as Olive sat down to her morning paper, she saw the article and the photo of Edith Wolfskill. The Edith, who just left Olive's home, was identical to the missing woman in every fucking way. Ooh. Now here's some shit. The woman was a dead ringer for Edith Wolfskill, Mm -hmm. except her name really was Edith Kelly of, that's a blank page and scaring the shit out of me, there we go, Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. who just happened to take up really long hikes after having had a car accident. 
Law enforcement officials in neighboring towns were alerted that Edith Wolfskill might be traveling through with a crutch, and Miss Kelly was detained by the police who thought that she was indeed Edith Wolfskill. Mm -hmm. On seven different occasions, she was detained by in different towns. Oh, no. So then to avoid any further confusion, Miss Kelly carried identification and an affidavit from Sheriff Thornton that she was (laughs) not Edith Wolfskill. That's how much she looked like her. Cool. Right? So, now around the same time as the Edith Kelly debacle, footprints matching Edith's shoes turned up in the hills near her ranch. Investigators followed them to the road where they ended, and local ranchers near the twin sister summit gave reports of disturbing screams that they had heard coming from the forest. So, Sheriff Thornton formed a posse led by Stratton O'Kelly, saying, We are going to ride those hills for six days, and if we don't find Miss Wolf's kill, you can depend on it. She's not there. The hope of finding Edith alive after two weeks wasn't great. And by the end of July, the search became less of a rescue and more of a recovery mission. It's hot. Mm-hmm. It's California. Yeah. So investigators used airplanes to search the hills while divers searched nearby Lake Curry. Neither found anything. Meanwhile, Sheriff Thornton and the Burns detective hired by Edith's bank located Edith's old nurse, Bessie Richardson, her mm-hmm. best friend. Bessie said that she was not fired but had quit when Matt Wolfskill refused to give her a vacation. Bessie said that she was the only person able to control Edith, and she told them Edith's deep fear of strangers. On her walks and hikes, the sight of a stranger often caused Edith to duck behind a rock or a tree, and she would constantly run down into a ravine near her home just to avoid people when she saw them. So Bessie offered the following prediction. I am sure Edith's natural fear of strangers led her to hide in the ravine. It's a very thickly overgrown, it's, it is very thickly overgrown with underbrush, and the only way they would ever find her body would be to comb every foot of that ravine. As July turned to August, the search for Edith slowed. There were no new clues, and everyone wondered what in the actual fuck had happened to Edith Wolf's kill. And then, September 19th, 1929... 18-year-old Bernard Glasshoff went trekking out through a dry creek bed, searching for a stick he could use to knock some ripe fruit fruit off of a tree when he made a gruesome discovery. Uh Uh-oh. Right there on the muddy creek bottom lay a heavily decomposed corpse. Right away, Bernard notified Sheriff Thornton, who made a preliminary identification Edith Wolf's kill had been found at last. The discovery solved one mystery, but created another. The paper's headline was, Empress of the World, Dead on Ranch, Clad in Overalls. Huh. See, Edith wasn't wearing the clothes she had left her home in. Hmm. Instead, she wore a pair of men's bib overalls. She was severely decomposed and likely died shortly after her her disappearance, which was evidenced by the blades of grass that were growing up through her braided hair. Ooh. But the investigators had searched that exact location many, many times since she had disappeared. Also, Edith's shoes were placed next to her body, and they were completely unscuffed. And just as Nurse Bessie had predicted, Edith was in a ravine less than a mile from her home. Ooh. To make shit even weirder, Someone had dug an eight-foot-deep, seven-foot-wide hole in the exact same spot five months before Edith disappeared. Oh. Naturally, law enforcement wondered if the hole was a grave that had been intended for Edith. 
So now once Edith was officially identified, the next order of business was to find out how she died. Decomposition prevented local physicians from conducting a preliminary examination. No cause of death was immediately apparent. Dr. A.P. Feenan conducted an autopsy but couldn't determine how Edith died. Dr. A.A. Berger of San Francisco performed a second autopsy with the exact same results. Uh -uh. The only anomaly present in Edith's body was an apparent blood clot in her brain. Theoretically, this could have caused a stroke, but there was no way to know if the clot you know, gave her a stroke or if there was head trauma yeah, but that she had, maybe she had fallen. A blood clot's not going to cause her to be suddenly wearing overalls. Right, is right. Is my, yeah. uh, So, what? but then they're wondering, okay, so there's a blood clot. Was there trauma? And it, it could it have been trauma inflicted by another person or maybe she fell. Mm-hmm. So the doctors suspected that Edith could have been poisoned, but toxicologist Dr. Franklin Green ruled out the possibility of that because the autopsies suggested that Edith had lived for about a week after her disappearance. So hmm. Solano County Coroner Dr. Gertrude Klotz held an inquest to investigate the circumstances surrounding Edith's death. She presented all of the evidence and subpoenaed Nellie Wolfskill, both of Edith's brothers and everyone who had seen Edith's body. Oddly, the family wasn't required to give testimony, and the jury jury came back with a verdict of death by cause unknown. Hmm. Now, the clothing that Edith was wearing when she died left everyone who knew her completely fucking stumped. Bessie attested that Edith had an aversion to other people's clothing, so much so that she refused to touch clothes that weren't hers, and no one could explain why her shoes were pristine and placed right next to her or what had happened to her original clothing. Because it wasn't there. Hmm. The outfit that she had left the house in mm-hmm. was not there. Yeah, and if she's trekking shoes. through this ravine a mile, yeah. her, her shoes were pristine. Yeah. Yeah. So the search began for the owner of the overalls and for Edith's myth- missing clothing. And as it turned out, a local rancher said that he had lost the overalls months before Edith's disappearance. And as if this couldn't get any fucking weirder... Edith's jacket never turned up, but the police found her skirt. Huh. Because it suddenly fucking reappeared in her closet. Oh. Sheriff Thornton was per-fucking-plexed and wondered how Edith's clothing came to be there unless someone had lied about what she was wearing when she left. Or unless they had access mm-hmm. to her closet. So what else could her family be concealing? Mm-hmm. The police also found an abandoned cabin within walking distance from where Edith's body was found. And for whatever reason, they never searched it before. But when they finally did, they found evidence that someone had been there recently. They found sleeping cots, bedding, eggshells, and phrases like, go to heaven, scribbled all over the walls, which appeared to be in Edith's handwriting. Yeah. The bank took everything over, and they had recently barred any family members from entering Edith's property. Matt, who had always believed that Edith was kidnapped, now refused to speak to anyone. Nay, who was previously very vocal about his belief that Edith died of exposure, had a new theory, and he intended to keep it to himself, telling the Oakland Tribune, Don't ask me for the basis of my new theory. I'm investigating it in my own way. When the proper time comes, I'll make it public. Well, guess what, y'all? He never did. Shocking. Edith's death didn't soften the brothers' hatred towards each other. They fought it out in court over Edith's portion of their parents' money, which raised an eyebrow or two. 
In truth, the wolves kill brothers had no reason to kill their sister because each of the children inherited an equal portion of the estate, mm-hmm. equivalent to just under $13 million each in today's money. So, although the evidence was lacking, Sheriff Thornton always believed that Edith was kidnapped and murdered because she refused to sign a ransom note. Edith was buried in Inglewood Park Cemetery next to her parents. Nay Wolfskill lived to be 69 and died with less than $25,000 to his name. He requested no funeral and a private cremation. Matt Ashby Wolf, Wolfskill passed away at 79 and was buried in Woodland, California, and the scandal regarding Edith seemed to die with her brothers. Huh. That is the story of the disappearance and death of Edith Wolfskill. So my sources are Mysterious Universe, Brent Swanser, Medium, Heather Monroe, Strangeco.blogspot.com, and BellaVistaRanch.net. Mm. Oh, and Wiki. There's a Wiki in there. Always. There's a Wiki for my And with wiki. us, as always, Wikipedia. Wikipedia. So, yeah. You sound so far away from your mic. I was right then. There we go. Isn't that a good? It's a good I story. I was leaning to get my water. Oh. Yeah, yeah. She was. She was a pretty thing. Mm-hmm. Just sounds like I she saw had some pictures. Yeah, it just sounds like she had some sort of mental breakdown. Maybe she was schizophrenic. You know, and oh, maybe the blood clot in the brain. But yeah, just and just weird shit. Overalls. Yeah. Like part of me was like, how does a farmer lose overalls? Right. But also, I have lost. Many shirts. Many, many a thing. Some of them, though, literally have disappeared from my closet. Yeah, like, they were no, there, and same. now they're not. Yeah, but no, overalls, same. dungarees, mm-hmm. they heavy. Yeah. So I want to, I'm just, like, imagining this farmer just... Where the fuck my overalls go? Butt-ass naked in his field. He's like, I'm just going to take off these overalls. Right? And go so, into the swimming hole. It sounds like... She had been staying in the cabin, but the cabin was always there. They never searched it. Yeah. But when they searched that spot before, her body wasn't there. And how far away was she? From? A mile. A mile from A home. mile from her home. One mile. I feel in an like... area they had searched repeatedly. And she's probably fairly familiar. Yeah. So I feel like her getting lost... That's why the sheriff is... thinks that she was being held by someone. Yeah. Because... If she walked there, she mm-hmm. easily could have walked back unless yeah. someone was... And if she had been traipsing around a dry creek bed in July... Yeah, it's going to be real boots dusty. Were gonna be, yeah, but they were pristine and clean and sitting right next to her. <sighs> weird. Very weird. Very weird. I weird say one. at least one of the brothers was involved. Right? Right? Because even though they had equal shares, yeah. that doesn't yeah. mean that they're not going to want somebody else's to be their own. Yeah. But, you know, it would make more sense if they would at least agree. Okay, we're going to do this. We're going to split this money. They couldn't even agree over that. They fought over her portion in court anyway. Mm-hmm. So, right? It's so weird. It, it, it wouldn't even be a situation where you'd be guaranteed the money. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to end up fighting over it in court. One is going to get it. Yeah, which I feel like was probably an afterthought. Like, ah, yeah. shit. Because they yeah. probably assumed that the bank would just be like, here you go. Yeah, yeah. Which, not the case, my dudes. Yeah, but, I mean, 
whatever it was, they probably weren't in it together because they couldn't. No, yeah, absolutely not. Since they fought, yeah. if they had agreed and done it together, they'd definitely been like 50-50. Right. Because right. they're like, well, she's not making good use of the money, so I should have it. Yeah. Which. But, you know, I mean, when they pulled her out of the hospital, they did do right by her. They got her her own mm-hmm. ranch and we're like, we're going to keep her here and we're going to. Or was it easier access to get rid of her? Mm-hmm. Just another thing. Or like an easier way to be like, keep an eye on uh-huh. her inheritance. Uh-huh. Be like, oh, so now that she's right here, we yeah. can puppet strings exactly. a little bit easier because there's no other authority mm-hmm. except for right. us. Right. Or right. me, whichever brother did it. Yep. Because I still feel like someone... One of them had something to well, do with Nay it. Well, Nay was there. Did Nay it? was there, and he had to call Matt and be like, hey, sister is missing. So, yeah. Oh, that's a weird one. It that's is weird. weird. Yeah. It's oh. a good one, though. Well, um, so, uh, yeah, oh, I have, I have a feral was, demon baby to go babysit. That so was my shoulder. We done that's done right. it, y'all. We did done do it. We done done it. So y'all know the drill. Rate, review, subscribe, Mm -hmm. share, share, share. Yes. If you would like some exclusive motherfucking content, go become a patron on our Patreon. And if you're not following us on any of our social medias, (coughs) what in the actual fuck are you doing with your life? Fix it. Go to a retail store. Do that. Find some electronics, subscribe to our podcast, and send us a video of you doing it. We'll send you stuff. Yeah. We'll do that too. Hey, mm-hmm. and go leave a review. A very yeah. nice, lovely review love reviews. on the Apple Podcast. Ratings are great. Reviews, even greater. Better. Yeah. Yeah. So, yep. till next time, y'all. Hexes and hoes, y'all. Hexes and hoes, y'all. Bye. Bye. Hats off to the fuck you club. Well, we don't have any in don't our stories. Really today. No, but we have since we have a, a very new inductee. Yeah, permanent inductee. Permanent. Because inductee. we got a little bit of clarification on our uh on our friend Ted. Yeah. A little earlier this week. And we're not gonna go into detail for nope. uh comfort of the person who told us, but fuck that guy in half. Fuck him sideways. I hope someone slowly feeds him through a wood chipper. <laughs> fuck that guy. Yeah. Fuck that fuck you too, Bob. Fuck you too, Bob. Yeah, Bob, but, you're a swindling piece of shit. But yeah. Ted, fuck you in every way, shape, or form. For literal Forever. Forever. Forever and ever. Amen. Fuck you, Ted. I want I want to cut things off of you until you bleed to within, within an inch of your life. Yeah. And then cauterize the wounds, get all of your blood levels back to normal, and then start all over again. Yeah. Fuck you. Fuck you. Yeah. And Kimberly can't read. That too. Ugh. Eat my athquin. Eat my ath. Eat my ass, Gwyneth. Oh, boy. Eat my ass, Gwyneth. <laughs> oh, no. Just eat it. Oh, no. Eat it right out. Oh, no. Eat that ass. You just open on up and wah, wah, wah. Gobble it on down. Oh, it just came out a little sassier than it was supposed to. Eat my butthole. Yeah, fuck you, Ted. Oh.